Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9 to Thrive HR. Today's episode is brought to you by HCI's 2020 People Analytics and Workforce Planning Conference. Join us from March 23rd through the 25th in Miami, Florida, and start turning people insights into business results. Learn more at pawpconference.com. We're joined today by one of our presenters at this conference. Nicholas Garvis is the former global head of strategic workforce planning at Allianz. Nicholas has an illustrious career in the workforce planning and analytics space, and we're delighted to have him on the agenda. Nicholas, welcome to 9 to Thrive HR. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you today. Wonderful. So let's get started right away here. Your session is focused on strategic workforce planning for digital transformation. Let's start right away by asking, what is digital transformation? What do you mean by that? And what is particularly challenging about it? So, you know, in all industries right now, we're seeing the the, um, digitalization of those businesses. And it, it starts with uh, you know, everyday customers of, of consumer products like us, uh, in our work environments, we want to uh, purchase things in business-to-business context. We want to, uh, let's say, experience uh, insurance products, in the case of Allianz, uh, in a different way. And it's, and it's creating a, a need for organizations to really um, step up their digital game. So it's, it's not just the, the conversion of paper processes into, into um, digitized processes, but it's really completely rethinking the, um, the the user experiences that are being offered and then playing into broader platforms and ecosystems. So it, it affects the the way products are conceived and designed right, you know, right from conception all the way through to do those in a more of a digital context where you're focusing on user experiencing, focusing on the use of data and uh, analytics as a, a fundamental element in the product. So this is what's going on in, in businesses. And of course, the talent needs to respond or the, let's say our talent strategies need to respond to those. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, we all know uh, that the, for example, the traditional competitors for uh, specialized digital talent are uh, are all of the familiar characters from Alphabet, uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, any of those uh, big uh, Silicon Valley giants. But uh, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's a now a bit more of a rush to compete for that talent from more traditional established businesses. Yeah, yeah, and that's for I would call that like your core digital talent. And this is this is data scientists, uh, app developers, user experience designers, and researchers, and those are really core critical digital roles. But in those ones, like you said, those are, are they don't care what industry. I mean, they, that maybe they, they have some preferences for what industry they want to work in, but that's the same exact skill set. So yeah, your, your talent competitors are now every company because every company is trying to hire that's from those same talent pools. Uh, other piece of it is inside your organization, let's say in an insurance organization, you need now to have people like in claims that are claims operations people that understand uh, image processing, like digital images where you submit an auto claim and, and a uh, the system reads that picture and decides what the payout is going to be and processes it. Uh, so you need claims people that now are able to interact more with the digital teams. And that's, that is now, so now we've got a core digital um, 
uh, a talent pool that's being competed for by companies of all industries. And then you've got your domain experts that are attaching digital skills to themselves and doing different things. And, and, and that's even, you know, becomes an even, even trickier proposition. And that's where you think about the you know, upskilling uh, and the adding of those digital skill sets onto your, let's say, traditional domain experts. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, and I like that example of the, of the, of the claims adjuster. And another one that came to mind was uh, with banking institutions, almost every bank that you would interact with, that you would be a customer of potentially in America uh, now has the ability through their mobile app to uh, deposit a check under a certain amount, uh, of course, in uh, via your phone just by taking a picture of it. And I'm sure they've had to um, bolt on some additional digital skills from their uh, uh, from their folks so that they can uh, they can manage that process on the back end. Right. And, and so think through the compliance considerations in that. So you have normal compliance from, you know, 10, 20 years ago as far as checks coming in and, and, and things like that and how they're processed. And now that compliance person that was doing this job for 20 years now has to be actively involved in an online um, check deposit application and bring those same compliance considerations, but into the digital realm. So this is the, this is what I would describe as being kind of semi-digital. So I, I look at the workforce broadly as you know, digital, which we talked about some of those core digital roles, semi-digital, which are domain experts, maybe a compliance person or a claims person that's had to bolt on these new skills and then uh, non-digital, which are people that are doing work. That's essentially the same as it was, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, obviously those jobs being um, the ones that would be shrinking the fastest. Right. Yeah. And, and let's, so let's zoom out from this example a little bit. You've done a great job of describing some of the challenges there of, you know, first we're competing for, uh, you know, there's more competition for the core digital roles than there's also a development aspect of developing or finding people who are, have the ability to learn these new skills. And then, uh, and, and then what's left over the roles that are staying traditional, um, looking more broadly at workforce planning in a, in the modern economy, what are some of the big pitfalls that you see uh, uh, people run into commonly? There's several, but I'd say one of them would be going too far into the quantitative and leaving the qualitative out of the picture. So if you're doing headcount planning, it's a numbers game and it's typically aligned with a budget. And this is a form of workforce planning. It is, it's a, um, a shorter time horizon, very focused on headcount. Uh, that has been okay in some settings. I don't think it is now. And I call that quantitative piece. I call that the capacity. And then I think about the other dimension being capability. And there's other dimensions like location and cost that you can bring in. But capacity and capability, I look at those two axes as being the most important. And I think any workforce planning that does not include, a, a let's say, a equal or, or pretty close to equal treatment of both of those two dimensions, the numbers and the skills, or as I say, the capacity and the capability. If you don't balance that, uh, you, you will make um, mistakes. You will, you will put your, your strategy and your operations at risk by doing that. So I think that that's one major pitfall is not, not recognizing that you need to play in both spaces. They are different, you know, accounting, FTEs is easier than figuring out what skills gaps you have. And that, you know, where that leads you is basically that um, strategic workforce planning 
is basically a business planning process that requires a consultative approach, engaging business leaders to find out where they're going and what challenges they have, and then challenging them too on the rate of change that uh, will likely occur in their space. Uh, so it's a very it's a it's a very hands-on with the business leaders process, just like any other um, a decent business planning process would be. Yeah, that really touches on so some of the themes we're hoping to touch on in the event. I think that our research certainly bears out that last point you were making about a lot of the challenges being clustered around engaging and aligning with business leaders and and like you said challenging them occasionally you know a, a complaint we often hear is you know figuring out is the prioritization piece of it um what is you know we can't create a workforce plan for every single role or every single segment so we've got to start prioritizing and that's a conver- and that's obviously a conversation that has to rely heavily on the business leader because they're the ones who are presumably determining the strategy that will determine what roles are strategically important or not. It brings up an interesting thing. So prioritization is is clearly an important element of doing this work. At the same time, I I think that there is a a really strong value proposition to doing this across all functions at once. And, uh, and now inside each of those, you would have prioritization. So if you do claims, you would prioritize, you know, claims handler, claims operation, and contact center. And in finance, you might prioritize the actuaries and somebody else and so on. Uh, so there's, there's a prioritization that still occurs. But what I've seen in doing this at scale is that when you can have a, a discussion across functions, the claims person says that they're going to become X percent more efficient, whatever that is, over the next few years. Let's just say it's like 30 percent um, more productive. And and, they, and you say, how? And it's because of these different digital tools that are coming in. Well, that conversation needs to be had in the same room with the IT person who's going to be expected to be delivering those things. If those things get separated, you, you lose like one half of the ledger. So you've got we're going to go down here, but we're dependent on these solutions coming in. And that means that we're going to need to add in a different place. So maybe we come down 30% there, but we have to add 25 um, software developers and some data scientists and a user experience person, et cetera, that are going to enable that reduction. So if we were just dealing with the claims person in isolation, they would either be very conservative and say, well, it's only going to go down by just average productivity per year of a couple percent or whatever it's been traditionally. Um, but you can't really get, you got to get like this, this comprehensive picture. So I, I really think that that's a, kind of the gold standard is to have a CEO of a business with the leadership team and each of them holding on to their strategic workforce plan and saying, hey, here's what's going on in my area. Here's how digital, in, in this case, if we're focusing on digital, Here's how digital trends are affecting the way work is going to get done here. Now, here are my roles and how many people I have now and what I expect. Now, here are my skills where, where I expect gaps to be emerging. And then here's my action plan. For the next 12 months, I'm going to focus on these things. I'm not going to solve, I'm not going to lay out a five-year set of actions. I'm just going to say, I, I'm going to do this in the next year. And we repeat because it's a business planning process. When we repeat it next year, we reassess where we're at. But that that's really important, this kind of uh, being able to see both sides of the ledger 
because you can't talk about new efficiencies and productivities and things going down without understanding exactly what you're going to need to add in order to drive those changes. Yeah, that is a, uh, that is a great point, especially on the specifically on the topic of digital transformation is, you know, we're, we're just going to bring machines in to do half this work now. Okay. Well, who's running the machines, uh, who's making sure that part of it actually works. Right. Like who's selecting the machines, not just, you know, and running them, but somebody's going to have to know somebody from this functional area and it, maybe it's in a manufacturing setting. It's, it's, um, you know, one of the, the, the manufacturing or supply chain leaders, they're going to have to be skilled enough to go select the automation technology that's going to work. And then you're going to have to have implementation folks that understand what it is. I mean, so you really have to think about both sides of this, what is going to go down and what's going to go up. And this is when we get back to the original concept of digital transformation. When we say digital transformation of the workforce, it means that the workforce that you have five years from now would look different than it does today if you are serious and you, you know, your company proceeds to, um, to make the kinds of changes that they're describing. You would have a different workforce. You cannot take today's workforce, drop it in five years into the future, and expect your business to be any different than it is right now. I think that's a great point. And so we've come to the time of, end of our time today. And one thing I would like to uh, leave the audience with is uh, if you could make a, a, any recommendation to people listening, what's one thing they could start doing today uh, that would help them better prepare for future talent gaps? What's one thing they could change about what they're doing or one thing they could adopt uh, that you would recommend? I think most importantly is to engage directly with the business leaders and have conversations around what the changes that they're seeing and how those changes are going to play out in that business leader's um, workforce. And just in getting that conversation going, that is the very beginning of a strategic workforce planning uh, project anyway. And you can do a whole lot by sitting down and saying, what's changing? Which roles go up? Which roles go down? What skills are going to be needed in the future? It's a, it's a, 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 you know, something that we should not assume that we know what those answers are. It's a, it's a constant conversation with the business leaders. And then the next thing I would say is, what are we going to do about it? I mean, essentially, it gets you to workforce planning. Everything else is just more detail, more analysis uh, to support that and to make better and better decisions. But you can get really far just by having some, some simple conversations around the future shape of the workforce we need in terms of numbers and skills. I can't think of a better note to end on. So Nicholas, what's the best way for people to stay up to date with you and what you're working on? LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. It's Nicholas Garbus. Uh, happy to uh, receive your, uh, your, your any comments or questions. And this is a space that, I, as you mentioned, I've been uh, in this space for a while and uh, pressure tested a lot of uh, different uh, ideas along the way. So happy to share my my learnings with people. Um, so thanks for having me, Ellen. Appreciate it. It was our pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you once again for your time. Once again, this episode was brought to you by HCI's People Analytics and Workforce Planning Conference. Make sure to sign up at pawpconference.com where we have 
live and virtual conference passes available. If you, for some reason, don't want to be in Miami in March, which I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, you can watch via the live stream. So, uh, and I'll leave you with this. For all ideas related to HR, check out Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.